Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritClicks.com podcast. Today I've got literally with me, as uh, as is the, as is the novelty these days, I've got my guest sat opposite me, which I don't normally have the pleasure of. I've got Giles Bourne. Hello. You are a writer-director, Giles? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Sorry. Yeah. Quite strange sort of starting like that. Yes. yes, hello. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the listener who's thinking, why so reticent? We've been casually chatting away about everything and anything. And now I've put the record on, and both of us are in sort of performance mode. Yeah, it changes. It's that red light, isn't it? Well, I've got red light fever, don't I? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm having it too. So I'm gonna. We'll get there. We'll wind. We'll, we'll relax. So um, you've made two feature films and, and a bunch of shorts, as well as um, music promos and yes. adverts and yeah. stuff. So you, you know, your credentials are very, very solid. And, and I've of your feature two feature films, I've seen one, one of them, the more recent one, yeah. called Flutter. Your debut feature film was called One Two Three Four. Yes, not Four Three Two One. One Two Three Four. No, no, very different movie. Very different movies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I presume you haven't got as many women in their underwear. Uh, no, 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 not not quite. But it, it, it is funny though how many times I've had stories of uh, people popping back to their parents' house and their parents have bought Four Three Two One. They're like, "What have you got this?" And they're like, "That's your friend's film." They're like, "No, One Two Three Four. They're like, "Oh, thank God, I didn't really like this film." <laughs> So just just because we'll because we'll we'll we'll, we'll orbit round flutter probably more than one two three four because mm-hmm. I've seen it. Let's just give the listener a brief synopsis as to what what flutter is. Um, flutter is uh, it's a feature length film written by Stephen Leslie and it's about a group of gamblers who gamble uh, go to the dog racing uh, and then a new bookie turns up a woman called Stan and they start losing lots of money. First of all, they're successful and they start losing lots of money. And she, at that point, starts suggesting su- suggests that perhaps they should begin uh, betting on different things than the dogs and start betting on themselves. So they start betting on things they can do, and it all mm. spirals out of control with hilarious consequences. And that got a release when? Uh, that came out um, in the UK last July, and the US... I think it was September. Okay, so July 2015. Yeah. September 2015. Yeah. So, and that's now available, what, DVD? DVD, VOD, all those things I don't really understand. Yeah, there's different formats. Yeah, that's yeah. That, you're, you're, you're every guest with that answer, by the way. People know <laughs> DVD and Blu-ray, but then I say, which which VOD? They go, all of them, or the normal ones. Yeah, yeah, the big ones, <laughs> the popular ones. Lots of people are like, I don't know. So, um... Now the big difference between those two films, before we go into sort of the background of you, is that you wrote and directed one, two, three, four, yeah, and you were a director for hire, on or were you someone that collaborated with the writer to come together as the director of the project? No, I was I was uh, a director for the the producer of Flutter saw one, two, three, four, uh, and th- um, saw something in that thought they'd like to bring that to 
to um, flutter. And so I came up and um, I, I it's an amazing script by um, Stephen. It had all these fantastic set pieces. But there's a few little changes I wanted to make. So I, I, I did a pass, because they asked me to do a pass. So I did a pass, but made a few of these changes. Uh, and then it sort of, it looked like it was gonna go, then it, 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 the whole film fell apart financially. Oh really? Yeah, we had, um, we had a certain actor in who was involved in a, a big American TV series. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was really taking off and he'd agreed to come board and everything was looking great. And then we were just a couple of weeks away from going into prep uh, and they got in touch and the bonding company got in touch and said, we can't bond this actor um, for the insurance because he was then straight away after Flutter, he was going off to do another film. And then straight after that, he was off to do season three of this big US series. Mm. And they said, we can't, because if you overrun, what's going to give? And so we had to go back to him and say, you can't do both films. And unfortunately, the other film was, he'd, been, he'd written it with his best friend and been trying to get it made for 10 years. So uh. he chose that. Uh, weirdly enough, that film also fell apart. But it meant our film completely fell apart. And then suddenly, a year later, mm. it was back on again. They found new financing. And we had a rush. And I wanted... I'd like to have done another to look at more drafts of script, but there just there just wasn't time. I think because of the with the changing cast, the changing location, I think it would have been good. So we didn't get to do any more work. We didn't get to bring Stephen in the writer. Mm. He did he did another part. He came up with some. We were, they were really stuck on one bit, and he came up with some really good uh, ways to fix that. But we didn't. I didn't get to work with him because there just wasn't the time. And I, I it was annoyed me that. I've heard this before, certainly script editors that I've, I've spoken to is that, and when I've seen them do panels and stuff and they say, you know, when's it ready, when's the script ready? Mm. And the script editor often says, when momentum says it is. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, because, and it's, that's a lesson learned is that don't sit on a draft where you know it still needs to be worked on but if I, you ca if you can get it moving yourself. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's true, but we, that weird one is that you know we all know films and script they're never finished are they no. they just they just get to a point when you you can't financially carry on tinkering with them <laughs> uh, and so it's always it, it's tricky I mean I remember saying can we get a script editor in to have a look at this and they just went there isn't time we can't who needs to go I'm like oh. so you know we ended up doing some changes late on in that and then of course it changed massively again in the edit mm. but it was a it's a it's a it's a tricky one because uh, I know what well, we all know Jeremy Drysdale. Mm. You know the small dwarfish. Who's been a guest on this podcast? Of course, yes, yes, and he was very entertaining, <laughs> which unlike him normally. Um, and he, his big bugbear, one of his bugbears, is uh, the lack of development money mm. for things, which is you know it's true. It's, it's terrible. They wish there was more development money. And what I think one of the big problems with it not being there is it means that directors and writers don't get to work together as much uh, as would be helpful. Okay. You know things. By the time the director's been on board, things have already moved to such a to a certain point mm. that you can maybe do one pass of tweaks or something like that but it's not going to be a question can we sit down and and do some work on this for months so it wasn't it wasn't specifically there were story challenges in what you had it was just that generally then you felt there could have been an elevation in what you had no i think there's there's always there's always going to be if you come on board as a prod to a project as a director there's always going to be an element of you're going to see things slightly differently I want to do things slightly differently because you're interested in certain things yeah. and no, no script is so perfect that it doesn't need input from other people otherwise there's no point in making the film you might as well just publish the screenplay so you're going to have yeah, the yeah. film being a collaborative art form you're going to have people are going to take different angles mm. on things I mean I always find it astonishing 
how much people can differ in things. I mean, I remember when we were doing one, two, three, four, talking to uh, an art director who we actually didn't use in the end, but talking to one of them, and they were like, well, it's going to be like this and this and this. And I looked at their stuff, I was like, how did you get that from from what I wrote? That's completely the opposite of what <laughs> I wanted it to be. No. So there's just always going to be different. So if a writer brings you a, a, a script, they, I imagine, are going to think it's this, and you might think, well, actually, I'm slightly more interested in this bit. It doesn't mean anything to do to do with the script. It just means I'm interested in slightly in it feeling this way rather than that way. I'd like to bring this side up to it. So what 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 was it then in that, in the conversation of Giles? Will you direct this? About what he'd written as a screenplay, what was it that attracted you? Uh, it was the set pieces. They mm. were really inventive. There were these amazing set pieces, mm. um, uh, and and I just thought I th there were several things. I mean, one, two, three, four was such a low budget movie, mm. and Flutter was pretty much ten times the budget. And so I thought, well, this would be nice for starters. Mm. So, my God, I have some money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually be able to do some things. But it was also very much that I was aware that. A lot of my stuff has been quite lo-fi and quite sort of art house, and I thought, well, I enjoy that, but I also enjoy watching big commercial films. I'd like to do something more like that, but mm. still do it in a certain way. And I'd always been interested in that slightly noirish feel mm. of things, and I thought I could I could approach this script in that way. Mm. And I think this would be really interesting if we do it in that that way. Uh, and so that that's what appeals to me the, the sort of tone the set pieces in the script and the possibility of putting this tone setting it all in this world that I could yeah because it, it Futter has a sense of almost like it's everything's after midnight I kind of mm. with, in trying to recall yeah. I don't think I remember many daylights no there's hardly any day and you'll notice well there's nobody else on the streets yeah no extras it's completely empty yeah and it's like that's also one of the reasons we shot on film uh, it's one of the things I, I sort of put my foot down on a few things and one of them was I want to shoot um, on 35 mil because I wanted I didn't want us to feel it's not a piece of social realism I wanted you to feel this is a this is a fable this is a, mm. you know, it's a big it's a story yeah, yeah, yeah. involved uh, and so by shooting off film <clears> you <throat> flatten the image and you automatically feel this is cinema and, this is, mm. and I, I spoke a lot with Chris Ross the DOP about how we're going to light it and going for that slightly sounds really terrible isn't it but that slightly vertigo everyone says that but that's like, you know... The, you're the first the, on my podcast, so you're all right. Oh, right, okay. All right, yeah. But no, you know, whenever you talk to people, what's it about? I like Vertigo, it's amazing. Uh, but no, we, yeah, we did look at a lot of the colour schemes of that. Mm. Um, uh, and, and use the things, specifically to make it like, like, like a fable, like cinema. Mm. Yeah, because I guess, I, I, now you've said that, there is, because I've, I've recently watched The Witch, and I've never, I've not really made the parallels between them, but there is a sense of, you're falling, you're descending into something. Mm -hmm. Whereas obviously normal sort of film stories are, we have a series of obstacles and we have to resolve it at the end. Mm. Whereas what Flutter is, is about you've started the dominoes going. Yeah, yeah, and now you're just kind of holding on. Yeah, you're going, you're, yeah. you're go which is a fairy tale, isn't it? Fairy yeah. tales are about you have to sort of get to that, the worst bit to understand what it yes, is you needed yeah. to learn. Yeah, and interesting, I mean, the Flutter, obviously, with my... Uh, Standing, I don't get final cut, you know, I mean, hardly any mm. of it. Um, and I, the, the cut that came out had several things I didn't like. It, it certainly wasn't my, my, my ending ended without giving too much away in the um warehouse. Oh, right, okay, which is a much darker ending, yes, it is. And I think it was, I, I saw the whole thing as kind of like uh, a modern version, one of those tales of the unexpected. Mm. Um, that makes sense, and and so I thought that that, which, like you're saying, isn't 
normal sort of film. It's a much darker. So you've had a sort of lighter film that gets darker and darker, and it ends up really quite dark. Mm. And I think it would be better than that. And this, and there's some very recognisable faces in there. I mean, interesting for me. Yeah, yeah. I've just watched The Divide, mm -hmm. which obviously Joe Anderson, your mm -hmm. star, was the main one of the main supporting cast members mm -hmm. of that. And then you've got Laura Fraser. Oh, look, yeah, yeah. Which freaked me out because I was watching it and I was thinking, where do I... Because it's like I couldn't picture it. And then I'm like, yeah. Breaking Bad, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I, t I tell you a funny story. Um, I was... I, quite often when I'm watching TV or something, if I notice, see somebody who's really good mm. acting, I'll just quickly make a little note of their name just for future reference. Yeah. So, that, you know, I'm casting it. I'm like, oh, what about Kenneth? And I was watching Breaking Bad. And uh, she's, and I didn't recognise it. And I was thinking, oh, she's good. She's really good. Mm. Oh, I must find out who she is. Maybe we put her aside. Oh, I've worked with her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? You didn't recognise her that much? Didn't recognise her. That's amazing. Yeah. But the other nice one, because she's Scottish, obviously. Right. Uh, and uh, she got so into her English accent, she ended up swearing in English when she was on set, which I thought was pretty good going. What is she? Is she method, literally? Normally, sorry? No. As a rule? No, she just got so into her English accent. Oh, wow. Yeah. And obviously, Luke Evans is in there, which mm. I mean, I recently just seen the yes. High Rise. Yeah, it's lovely comment. And uh, my favourite bit was when you first introduced us to my favourite bit, just because this can't spoil it because it's not really, it's not plot important without the context. Um, was when you when we first meet Mark Williams. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That I guess that's one of them set pieces. What you you were talking is that a set piece yes, you were talking that, about? That was you were thinking yes. when you were reading the screenplay. Yeah, you're going com completely. I can see how this is done. And it's funny because the casting, a lot of the casting was. Uh, because with the money for Flutter came from all around the world, there's Russian money, there's American money, there's British money, there's German money. Okay. Um, and so casting was <laughs> at times a little torturous mm. because people had different markets and different reasons for wanting to cast people. Mm. Uh, and Mark was one of the lovely ones that was, I'd not had to settle for things, but I'd had to go, okay, you know, we're mm. going. And Mark was one of the ones they just said, who do you want? You can choose. Oh, really? And I went, I want Mark Williams, please. Because he is a very. He, he, he can do sort of dark, mm. but also he brings the, the joke to the humour, doesn't I mean, he? he well, he's a, he's a is he national theatre RSC too. Oh, is he? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, a, that makes sense now. Then. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a very, very good, versatile actor. And then, interesting from, from my point of view, looking at a British film, is you've got someone like Billy Zane mm. in a very minor role. I mean, how does that. How does that as in, he's not on screen that much. Yes. You know, he's not. He's not I'll tell you another funny. Well, maybe it's not funny. I like it. Uh, the role for Billy Zane. Yeah. Um, I originally wanted in that role uh, Sean Locke, stand-up comedian. Yes. Because he did, did that series. What was it? Fifteen, 15 stories. stories. Yeah, Beautiful. I really liked it. Beautiful. Uh, and he's kind of messing up, and I thought he'd be a really good dentist. Mm. He'd be really fun. Um, so we spoke to the Americans, and they said, "Who do you want?" I said, "I want Sean Locke." They're like, we never heard of him. I said, <laughs> "Okay." So well, I found loads of clips of Sean Locke and stuff, and sent them over to the states. In the meanwhile, we started talking to his agent. They just said, okay, what are the dates? We gave them the dates. They said, no, you can't make those at all. And the schedule was sort of moving around a bit and gave it through because people, different actors. And things. But there were certain parameters we couldn't move out. And he couldn't, we just could not make them fit. Wow. And we tried shifting this and shifting this. And none of it happened. Um, and so we had to say, no, we're not going to do it. And then I spoke to the Americans and they're like, oh, we really, that's a real shame. We really liked that Sean Locke. He was really funny. And I was, I was like, I know, wasn't he? He said, yeah, but anyway, if he can't do it, that's a real shame. We think we got someone else who's kind of like him. I was like, oh, who's that? He said, Billy Zane. <laughs> when did you pick yourself off the floor? <laughs> I, know. I was like, in what parallel world is if you can't get Sean Locke, who'd you call next? Well, Billy Zane, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. That um, is brilliant. But he was, yeah, he was lovely. He was, you know, very, very amazingly good. Was he in town then when, when you were cast mm. of the film or he came yeah. in to do the movie? He came in to do the movie. Wow. Just brilliant. Uh, amazing. I mean, properly, 
properly starry as well, you can tell when he comes in. So, mm. uh, you're, you're in the presence of an actual film star. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. And he was, he was just unbelievably professional. And I mean, because he, he plays a dentist in the scene. Mm. And we had, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes practice with a real dentist showing him how to go around. Of course, Harry yeah, really gets into um, and, and Joe's I, mouth, doesn't he? I was sat by the monitor watching because we were in this dentist surgery. Yeah. Uh, and I was sat next to the dentist and he turned to me after the first take and he went, I'm not being, you know, overly funny. He said, uh, if I didn't know he wasn't a real dentist, I would think he was. He was that good in his, in his first take. I was like, well, that's why he gets the big bucks. <laughs> So how would you how would you describe yourself as a as a director on set? You know how are you? Because obviously there's a big contrast there, isn't there, between like you say, there's kind of star power that plays own brings to the set, and mm. then you've got everybody going down in a in a kind of descending scale of stardom, I suppose, for a better mm. word, uh, where you've got egos and you've got attitude and you've got competencies and all kinds of things to manage, as well as the people behind the camera. Um, and you've used the word collaborative already in terms of mm. what, when you were talking about the, the, what, what making the screenplay to start with. So how collaborative do you make the process of director and how much are you sort of having to be? I, I make it as collaborative as possible. Okay. Absolutely collaborative. I just don't understand why people, other people don't. I mean, mm. I guess I, I, I do understand that sometimes you need things maybe a little bit more combative for because you've got an actor who needs dragging out of their comfort zone. I understand mm. that. Um, but in general, no, collegiate, make it as... Absolutely as collaborative as possible because it's it's amazing being a director. You are asked, you, you hire the very, very best people you can, mm. and then you ask them to do the very, very best work they can, and then you take all the credit for it. I mean, what's not to like in that? It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I look back on, on the DOPs I work with, on the art directors I work with, the editors, and I just think, my God, you've done brilliant work. Mm. Uh, and everyone goes, Oh, that looked lovely, Giles. I'm like, Yeah, thanks didn't actually design that someone else did you know you just say yes it's, it's fantastic it's absolutely yeah fantastic. So i suppose in a funny way you have to to, to be those other skill sets because the director from get from the get-go can be a film by not that everybody does mm. do that but it can from your from your first film onwards you can you can certainly be that but then you've got to like say roger deakins is a dop mm. he's now getting credits but like how long has he been working you know, yeah that's, that's kind of that's, weird that we, we now make publicity out of how good he is yeah He's been good for a long time. Exactly. And I, I, I was directing, obviously, you've got to have an idea of, of the overall mm. of this. You know, when, when costume run up to you and, and they, they hold two jackets up that look pretty and they say, which one do you want? You've got to know which way you want this to go. Mm. And that's largely what anybody wants. They just want to steer and then they will go and do this amazing work. So I remember meeting with, say, Richard Bullock, who was the production designer on mm. um, Flutter. And I'd already sent out sort of director's notes to various HODs we're meeting with. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I love that film you made. And I, thought, and I started thinking, what about if we put this bit and this bit together? I'm like, that's exactly it. That's what I was thinking. Uh, and that, that's that's all you need. You know, once they get that, then he mm. runs off and does the most amazing work for them. But it's it's just, it's about having that, over, I think directing is more about having that overall understanding of the tone and, and the look and the feel. Yeah. So how do you, th how do you feel you do that dance between because what you're talking about there is like knowing what, what to what to do about the micro mm. while always maintaining the view of the macro, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I think a number of things. I think number one, you should never be afraid of saying, I don't know. Okay. Uh, and I was wrong. That's fine. I've, I've had to do that a couple of times and saying, yeah, well, I want this, definitely want this over there. Definitely want that. Oh, it looks awful, doesn't it? Yeah. I was Have wrong. you got an example from, from Shooting Flutter? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, I was, I wanted, when we, at one point, we had the bookies lined up mm. and the weather was a bit, well, 
you know, we're shooting in Newcastle in winter. It's never going to be, yeah. never going to be able to guarantee what it is. Uh, and at one point I said, I know, well, let's put umbrellas over all the um, bookies stands and we can maybe put a little lamp in them. And Richard was like, oh, maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. I was like, no, it'd be fun. It'd look really good. It'd look, I mean, imagine kind of Blade Runner, look brilliant. And he did, and they, they did them and I walked out on set and I looked at them and I went, yeah, they're shit. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. He went, I know. So we took them all off. But I think, yes, and you just have to be honest, don't you? Yeah, I suppose it is, it is, yeah, being able to step back from something mm. without feeling humiliated is, mm. is, is, a, is a good thing. Because ultimately, you still you still want to make a good film. You don't want to be proved right. No, <laughs> exactly. I mean, all anybody remembers is what the film was like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, 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 that's absolutely all that matters. So this is why I think you should listen to Because I do, I do a bit of teaching sometimes okay. as well. And uh, I've really noticed a lot of the, the directors have got on this because they're young and they're nervous. They won't listen to anybody because they think listening to somebody else is a sign of weakness. Right. Actually, okay. It's, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. If you listen to it, it's choosing which advice you're going to take. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the sign of strength. It's not listening to people. That's absolutely. That is a sign of strength. Yeah. No, I, mean, I must admit. I think from my, I'm I'm someone that isn't sort of twenty years in the tooth of sort of trying to write movies. It's sort of last ten years or so, and certainly I remember the first three years when you when you began to get feedback, you welcomed it, but then you were like. Hold on a minute, none of it makes none of it makes sense. Yeah. That contradicts that. Yeah, yeah, no, something's awful, isn't it? And then suddenly you're like going, hold on a minute, I've got to decide now which is good and which but it's that that step forward which is actually yeah. taking that feedback on board yeah. and then moving forward with the right bit that's yeah. useful yeah. and jettisoning all the rubbish. I've, I've got I've got an action thriller at the moment that we're uh, is out with a producer. Mm -hmm. and one of the notes we got back from a sales agent, she said, mm, it's okay, I just I didn't find it that funny. Possibly because it's not a comedy. <laughs> no, thank you. Maybe you read it wrong, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. So, from, from your film, your filmmaking life. If we, if we rewind the clock now, mm. uh, not that we've just dumped butter, but as far as just getting a bit more detail about you, is you did a foundation in sculpture, which isn't the obvious starting point yeah. for filmmakers. Yeah. But you, I think, from what, when we were talking before we started the podcast, you always knew you wanted to make films. Is that, is that right? Or was that something that was born out of... You know, it kind of. I, I actually, I, I always wanted to... Uh, fine art what I really wanted to do okay. to start with. But interesting enough, when I was at school, uh, doing art at school, there weren't many of us. There was only a few. Mm -hmm. and by the time we got sick form, I think there was only three. Yeah. Um, but our art teacher, massive film fan, absolutely enormous film fan, Okay. Uh, and so we would spend loads of time talking to him about them, and he'd say, oh, you should go and see this. Go. So we'd, everyone who did, mm. everyone who did art at this school, ended up going to see loads of films. And as a result, my school produced um, Sam Mendes. Um, this is the only time I'm going to put my name for Sam Mendes. Go on, keep going. <laughs> yeah. right, Sam Mendes. Myself, uh, Nick Abrahams, yeah. who works with Jeremy Della, does yeah, of, yeah. Uh, documentaries. And Matt Whitecross, who did... Um, uh, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, lots of other... So... <coughs> Wowza. I think that's not a bad game. No, uh, not one, at all. One art department has produced four directors who've had theatrically released feature films. And what was what was it was it his was it his just love of film that was infectious? Yeah, yeah. He just loved films and told us to go, oh, you go and see this and then we'd go and we could sit around and talk about it in the art class next time. What give, give me one example then of a film that you wouldn't have seen had he not pointed you at it and you're like, Wow, well, I've just I've just seen something new there. Well I don't know, I'm too old, too long in the tooth to remember back that far. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know if I wouldn't have gone to see it, but certainly, I, I mean, I, I went to see uh, a lot of really good 
seventies American. He really liked his seventies American films. Okay, you know the, the 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 great sort of American new wave. He was very big on that. So I certainly saw a lot of those films that I think at that age might well have passed me by. Yeah. Okay. Um, because of him, and it was it was just great. It was just nice to talk. Well, things like The Gambler and Charlie Varick and oh, I mean, no, much more mainstream. You know, I mean, I was sixteen. It just feels like the deer, the deer hunter and things. Oh, okay, like that, okay, you know, okay. That, that, oh. um, I, I certainly remember having talking about that loads in the mm. classes. Uh, it was no, it was just great. And just a general love of film as well. I could have done with your art teacher then, because I think when I saw Deer Hunter, my young brain couldn't compute it. Wild about it, but you know, we something to talk about. So. No, no, but, but the thing is, it's like to me, it was just a Vietnam movie. So you yeah. know, I'd see you're just watching films that have got that theme, but you don't obviously. Deer Hunter's got a lot more going on than say, mm. Ramble First Blood. Yes, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or Walter right. Hill, or Walter yeah. Hill's Southern Comfort, with yeah. oh, the manoeuvres in the oh, in the, in the yeah, swamps yeah. and stuff. You know, yeah. they were all they're all in your in your mind, and as you could, you're getting access to them via VHS and stuff, you're kind of yeah. you're seeing this other world. Yes, yeah. That um, isn't, you aren't seeing at the cinema because you can't watch eighteen movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd love to say that it was loads of um, um, Casavetes and stuff like that. It was pointless for us, but it wasn't. It was all done. It was all big films, big films. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So, um, with 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 sculpt with the sculpting um, behind you, you were you were looking to get to art school, yeah, and that didn't pan out as you thought. So, no, you. Well, it's not. It's wrong to go on sabbaticals. You were too young. You you basically chose to go on tour with bands, didn't you? I did, so. Yeah. Well, I was uh, when I was doing foundation. I was playing in lots of bands. Mm. And I want the only place I wanted to go was Chelsea uh, to do what to do sculpture because they had a couple of lecturers there whose work I really liked. Mm. That I sort of felt that was the kind of stuff I was interested in doing, and I didn't get in there. Bastards. Um, What's the appeal about sculpting? Do you still hanker up? Do you still have an, does, does sculpting still appeal to you? Even though it yeah, your I, I still absolutely love it. Um, um, my stuff was just to make me sound really awful was slightly conceptual okay um, but not massively but it, it was uh, quite interesting and they, they, they had a lot of scops there who, who were doing that sort of thing that I was interested does in does that mean it's formless and has no function if you say it's, it's conceptual it had, no it just had a lot of uh, had bigger ideas behind it and it could be formless yeah um, so you're making like the oak tree yeah I was, well, there's, there's a great one I remember that had this, uh, it was like, I'm trying to remember who did it now. My memory's going. I should probably say that I'm, I'm holding up a glass of water, yeah. which obviously isn't making good radio, <laughs> but uh, Michael Craig Martin's, is it the old tree, isn't it, where it's a glass of water yeah. on a glass of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Was it him? Yes, I do remember when you There's, um, there's this one guy, he built a lucky machine gun that looked like Mickey Mouse, but it had, and, uh, and had, there was, had to set an alarm off as he walked near it. God, it's too far away, too far away. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that I really wanted to do that, mm. that was very similar to their work. But I didn't get in, uh, and so I decided I don't want to go anywhere else. That was the only place I was interested in going. Um, That's fairly dogmatic at a young age. Yeah, I know. I did. I did consider Hull at one point because they offered to give you free materials, which is mm. amazing because no one wants to get a Hull. So Hull said, "We'll pay for all your materials," which is a sculptor. It was like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm working in gold. Um, and I did, I did kind of um and ah about that, uh, but in the end, I just thought, no, uh, you know, that's the only place I really wanted to go. Um, so I thought I'll go off and I'll play in the band, the band I was playing. We could do that a bit more seriously. And mm. I kind of thought maybe I'll go and reapply, but I never did. So I just went off and played in bands for a few years until I realised I was awful at that. 
But you, you, you were swimming in a, a, a very vibrant Oxford music scene at that point, weren't you? Which yeah, is... well, we were kind of just before the very vibrant Oxford music scene. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, we nearly killed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just starting to get to get vibrant when we were there. Uh, and the, the possibilities of going off on tour, you know, rather than just playing at a local pub, were all mm. so we would do. We spent a year basically going mm. on touring around all the toilets in the country. And you were doing things. You were playing. You were doing backlines for bands. And I was stuff. then when I when I Presumably stopped merch. You did when I stopped being in the band. Yeah. I didn't, never did merch. I did not. Okay. Rubbish with maths. <laughs> um, when I stopped playing in the band, yeah, then I started going off and doing backline because I could still tune a guitar well enough. So your guitar teching yeah. and yeah. setting up and so stuff. I was, yeah. I was going off and doing that and doing a bit working for a few companies, doing staging, putting PA's up and things like that, um, which is all fun. It's it's great fun. Uh, but then because of that. While I was doing that and still playing in the odd band, mm. um, I'd always wanted to do film, and it always interested me. You know, mm. I think from the art department days, yeah. And I'd slightly seen sculpture as a way of getting into film because obviously everyone does that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an idiot! Well, look, I've had. I mean, I don't, do you know? Do you know the director Simon Rumley? Uh, he did. He's done a few horror films. He's a British. Oh, I see. I mean, he, he went and did a law degree, thinking, really? "Well, I can. That'll get me into film." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm terrible with horror films. I can't watch them. They're the worst. Um, but so, yeah, so I, I kind of, I, you know, sculpture had been away and then the music was away. And then I've been about a few bands and I thought, actually, sorry, I'm going to have to go to college, aren't I, after all these years. Um, so I applied and went to Farnham in uh, Westcat, in Farnham, Westcat as it was, it's down mm. what is it, Surrey University of the Arts or something like that. Is that what it's called? Something like that. Okay. Some ridiculous title. At the time, it's West Cat, West Surrey. Had you made any music videos at this point? No. Okay, okay, okay. Made none. Um, But as soon as I was there, I started getting asked by people, oh, you're doing a film thing, why don't you do a music video for us? So I started doing those pretty quickly, which was good, because then I got some work when I came out of it. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. When, when you look back at, so it's been like a three-year degree, yeah? it, it, it sort of film production and stuff, yeah. what would you say was the benefit for you doing a kind of formal film-related education at that kind of higher... Well, the great thing is, is that you get you have access to cameras. I mean, this is you know this is back in the dark ages. This is mm. pre everything being digital. So you need super eight. And there were some crappy umatic cameras and things like that. But you have access to easy cameras and easy editing mm. facilities, and you can just when I say mess about. I don't mean really mess about. I mean, I mean you can experiment mm. with no concern. And I went in there interested in well, not really knowing what sort of film I was interested in. And I came up being interested in something very different, which was great. And that would only happen, I think, by having three years of experimenting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that, that when, when you're dealing with the physical medium as opposed mm. to digital medium, mm. I was talking to a filmmaker who was talking about cut and paste, and I just presumed cut and paste was like, you know, control yeah. X, control V. <laughs> no, cut. cut. He literally meant cutting up film and yeah. sticking things on the film yeah, so yeah, it affected absolutely. what yeah. got projected. Yeah. And I never... I, t- I remember the, the first... Short film. I shot a few short films to send in for my application. Yeah. Uh, I still remember cutting one uh, on uh, on the floor in my room in Divinity Road in Oxford, uh, and I lost this scene, and I never found it. Anyway, I was super eight, yeah, and I cut it up, and I was talking to the guy, the guy who sort of helped me out doing some of the anime. I was like, I can't find the scene. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Mm. So we just sort of stuck <laughs> it together. Like, absolutely no sense. And I think that's why people liked it.
because they thought this obviously is really deep. It's amazing. No, I just lost the penultimate scene. <laughs> Happy accidents are always part. Always part of the creative process. So, so what was you um, music video wise? What were what were you doing with what were you shooting them on and and, and uh, sixteen mil, sixteen mil, yeah, okay, okay, nice. sixteen mil, um, which is great. So, well, sometimes Super Eight, Super Eight, sixteen eight, mm. sixteen, sixteen mil and Super Eight. I mean, it's it's always good because you know you can you can use the whole hundred foot can't you the roll or mm. all the ends when it starts flaring and flashing. Beautiful, brilliant. Use those, and and for that for obviously we're, we're now in two thousand sixteen mm. where. Film still gets used and still gets only. In fact, we've had like a, with the whole seventy mil thing. There seems to be a little bit of a physical medium renaissance and sort of yeah. either that or it's grasping on for grim death, one or the other. Yeah. What is it about? And you've mentioned obviously shooting a thirty five mil with, with with Flutter. What is it about film and the physical format as opposed to digital? Obviously, we can get a, we can get a bloody we can get an iPhone now and we can yeah. film stuff, but it isn't film, is it? Is that no, no, it's not. And I mean, digital is almost there in the look. You know, mm. it's still you can still. I mean, not in every scene, mm. but there's still bits you can tell. Oh, that's digital. Mm. That white's flared a bit too much. You can still. T- now, I don't think the majority of the population can either notice that or, or mm. care. To be honest with you, but I think the really, for me, the most important thing with film is when you're on set, because as soon as you press that button, as soon as you say turn over, mm-hmm. and you can hear the whir of the camera. That's the sound of money being burnt, and it just focuses everyone's mind. Mm. And it makes you as a director do your prep, because in, unless you're Stanley Kubrick, unless you're Tarantino, you are not going to do thirty takes, mm. okay? Because you you need to do five takes. If it's really unsure, you do ten, twelve, but you're not really going to want to go over. And as soon as you go over ten, your producer's coming over and is sitting there and whispering, "You're saying that's just loads more money." Got to go. And it's great, so it makes you do your prep, and prep is what it's all about. It makes you sort things out. We shot one, two, three, four on sixteen mil, right? And uh, the most takes I did on something was 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 twelve, uh, and it was just because the scene wasn't working because mm. I kind of got it wrong, not because anybody else's fault, and I had to rejig it. Mm. Um, and I went about that, and I went through everything else and made sure that wasn't going to happen again mm. because that's you know I could have more takes on something else if I kept that down. About recording. Right, I'm not someone that's sort of anxious to get their hands on the kit. Mm. And one of the things I hear a lot now, when sort of I've been on set doing shorts and stuff and mm. features have kind of done extra work and stuff like that, is that this idea of coverage, mm. which strikes me as a, like a kind of the, 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 the devaluing of it. When you were talking about the idea of being aware you're burning money when you're doing take after take after take, there seems to be this language about coverage. Am I just wrong there? Was coverage always something that you were anxious about, even yeah, when no, you were using film? Get as much coverage as you can. Okay. Much coverage as you can. Because uh, it's that old uh, adage that film is shot on location, it's made in the edit suite. Mm. So the more options you can give yourself with coverage, the better. Mm. Uh, I mean, one, two, three, four. Red. Red, great. Uh, red, fine. You know, it's a script. Mm. When we came to edit it, just didn't hang together because it was too bitty. We were with one character, the next scene with another character, another character, another character. And on the page, that read fine. Mm. Um, but suddenly, when you're watching it, it was just jumping all over the place. So we had to sit there and take, we took all the different stories, there's four main characters, mm. and did the stories in blocks rather than cutting between one and the other, which meant that uh, one of the um, penultimate scenes in the film was actually on page three in the script. I've never heard that before. So what? So so the what was on the page didn't work as a viewing experience, but on the page it was felt fine. 
Yeah, yeah. That's blown my mind. It was, it was because we just kept cutting from scene to scene to scene. Yeah, to yeah, scene yeah, to scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, what we realised watching it is an audience sits there, they see a scene, and they want to start getting engaged with it and engaged with the characters. Mm. And they just start doing that, and you cut somewhere else, and they're like, oh, hang on, where are we now? It's like, oh no, it's their story. Oh, I don't like this. I, I was, and so they're spending some time thinking what's happened to the last character. Mm. So they're not engaging with this scene. So we did it in little blocks. So <coughs> they're almost like mini stories in these little blocks. Mm. So people could get engaged with them. Uh, and I, it, it is, I got sent a script recently, which did exactly the same thing. It was, we're here, we're here, we're here. And those was a, a flashbacks in time. Right. So okay. they were suddenly here. And then like, I remember one, on one page, they were in Dublin. Uh, in Dublin in 1850 and then in London <laughs> three it's like well really in a minute you're gonna kill your audience um, it's yeah I think it's true that what what you can read and what you see is feel, feels very different because that's because I guess there's that there's in story terms you're you're thinking in terms of transition but if if a cut is just literally jumping people around so it's no it's no longer a transition because it should cuts should be if, if you're sort of showing block sequences are scenes together, aren't they, mm. that, that tell us a little narrative within a bigger one. Yeah. So when, when you start to chop it up too much, yeah. it can be, it is, no longer becomes a transition, does it? It just becomes some information, some information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also, the, the, the printed page doesn't change how it looks. It's still Courier 12 point uh, black print on white paper. This is true. You just say, I'm in San Francisco or I'm in London, I'm in a bar, I'm in interior, I'm exterior, it's day, it's night. But when you're sitting there on a big screen and it's suddenly very white and then it's yeah, suddenly yeah, very yeah. dark, you know, it does it does change and it does throw you. And it gives it it takes plus also when you read the the the, the sorry, the top you read it, you know, interior house day. Mm. I understand where I am. Mm. But you suddenly sit and you have you have to spend a bit of time going, hang on, where am I? Mm. Oh it's their house. I got you. Okay. I know where I am now. All right. You know, it's not. It's not. You 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 see it visually very different to how you read it. What do you, what do you think were experiences you gained from doing the commercial stuff, like the music videos and the commercials, that you were able to take into your feature filmmaking? Virtually nothing. Seriously? Yeah, really. Yeah, um, really. I mean, uh, knowing kind of beyond technical things, understanding how things work and what what you can do. Um, I'd actually know this very flippantly to say, but no. Okay, all, all my experience of working with actors was was uh, vital. But I remember uh, one, two, three, four was shot by Mike Healy, a very famous DOP, mm-hmm. um, yeah, selfish giant and touching the void and everything. Um, and after the first week, I remember we we were going to go out and get a quick drink, me and him, after the first week finished. And he said, "How do you feel?" I said, "I feel like I've been hit by a train. I just I feel like I'm just holding on." To this film I've no idea what's going on and he went everyone says that I said but he meant everyone as in all other directors not everyone else on set um, uh, and it, it's, it's absolutely true it's like nothing else shooting a feature film is like nothing else I'd ever done I'd been on loads of commercials loads of music videos no what is it then what was the shoot time on one two three four how long were you shooting for it was god seven years ago now um, it was tough I mean we were doing we were averaging about seven pages a day which is, it's TV, it's TV schedule, so it's not... So you know what, four or five weeks? Yeah, you? yeah, so I think it's four weeks. So what was it about, given that you knew the end in sight was four or five weeks away, yeah. and I'm guessing a short film or an, or, an, or, an, or an advert or a music video might be two, five days at the most? Yeah. You know, yeah. what was it about even knowing the end in sight and then being in the middle of what presumably <laughs> is a Molstrom? Yeah, <laughs> it's really gruelling. I, I, 
I remember reading it's a brilliant book called uh, The Devil's Candy by Julie Solomon. Okay. Where she got access to Brian De Palma when he's making um, Bonfire Vanities. Okay. And she gets in there from pre-production to release. Wow. And it's it's great. And it was that's a privileged position. It was yeah. one of the first film books I ever read. Right. When I finished one, two, three, four, the first thing I did was reread The Devil's Candy. Uh, and there's a great bit in it where um, she talks to De Palma before he decided if he's going to do. Mm. Um, Bonfire Vanities and he says I don't know I don't know if I can face it I don't know if I can face getting in the tunnel again by which he means feature film mm-hmm. and I remember reading this as like a 17, 18 year old going what you moron <laughs> of course you can this is going to be brilliant it's going to be fantastic you know it's the old Orson Welles run it's the yeah, yeah. greatest toy set in the world yeah. and then you do a film and you go that's exactly what it is you're in a tunnel yeah. you can see nothing else I used to go home uh, go to bed dream I was on set wake up, go to set and be on set. And it's like, oh God, I feel even more tired. And it's just, it is constant. You are constant. It's constant questions. More than anything else, more than any mm. short or any commercial, it's non-stop people asking you questions. And they just want to steer. They just want to know mm. this is the right way. So you're always answering questions. You're always, always having, I mean, you should always be doing your best work anyway. Mm. But at no point do you hand anything off to anybody. It's always you and you're always in charge and always making the decision. Yeah, you're kind of you're kind of like chief executive and conductor at the same time, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, and there's there's no doing it again. Yeah, it's, it's like you've got to do the most perfect thing. And by the way, you only have four weeks. Yeah. So when when that scene's done, that scene's done. Okay. So every single scene you do has got to be absolutely amazing. You can't come out to it the next day and go, oh, I mean, yeah, we did a couple of times. Really not happy with that scene. Can we just reshoot that bit? But you can't get halfway through and go, no, do you know what? Wrong tone should be doing it a different way do you know you probably described in, in, a, in a in a way um that the, the notion of making a movie that probably explains more about why first-time feature makers don't make a second film as mm. much as the economy of the uk filmmaking industry might be an obstacle actually the desire to get into that yeah that yeah headspace again yeah it might not be that appealing if, you, if you're not sure about the screenplay or if you're not sure about the screenwriter you're working with or you can't get the right DLP, then yeah. why would you do it if you can't? I mean, you, you think about any other job you do and, and you go in and some days, you know, you're going to sit there and be brilliant at your job, but some days you're going to get that morning a little bit hungover. You're just like, okay, no one talked to me for a little bit. I'm just going mm. to answer some emails. Mm. That never happens on set. Mm. And I remember when we were doing Flutter, so Flutter was a six-week shoot, mm-hmm. turning up, uh, being at the hotel the night before we started. And just that realisation, six weeks, it's going to be six weeks, and this is going to be tough. Mm. I mean, look, it's not digging coal, is it? No, 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 no. But, um, no, but mental, mental, being mentally exasperated is, yeah. is, is, is not something you can just turn, turn 180 and it go away. No. You know, the film's still going to have to be there when you turn back 180 yes, again. Yeah, and, and the other thing, I mean, I think all I do when I watch anything I've, done mm. look back at it, it is just a collection of things I wish I've done slightly differently mm. there's very few scenes which I look at and I go that's fine mm. and even those ones that I'm really pleased with the scenes that I'm most pleased with the stuff I've done they're still oh, that pull focus I think, I think film's probably the weirdest art form of all the art forms because mm. most other things if you're, if you're a sculptor or a painter yeah. You can do 50 versions of Edvard Munch's The Scream, Absolutely. and the one that everyone thinks is the best one can be the one hanging on the wall. Yeah. In your studio, there are 49 others. Yeah. But, and I, but I, your I, shoot of the film, you've got what you've covered. Yeah. I, I always think, in a, in a way, composing is the nearest to directing rather than, than writing. Because you are, 
marshalling a huge group of people mm. and trying to get them to all go in a, in, in a direction and using, again, he's a very good and best people. Uh, but at the same time, the composer gets to sit there and, and hear the whole thing mm. and tweak it. This is like you're writing a, um, uh, you know, a concerto and you're only going to hear it when it's played to the public. Stupid job, really. So, all right then. So, if there wasn't, if there wasn't necessarily, if it was such a surprise, the mm. experience of doing one, two, three, four as a director, not yeah. not one, two, three, four itself, but just directing a movie. What then did you take from having done one, two, three, four that put you in good? What did you learn from that that put you in good stead for Flutter? Um, I learnt. I had I had one really nice one. We had a one scene in uh, one, two, three, four, which went really well. Yeah. Which uh, was a complete accident. Uh, and somebody said to me after that, I said, it's not an accident. I said, that's your years of putting things mm. together. And you just, you're the one who said, yeah, that, that one. And it turned out. Um, I still don't think I should take credit for it. But I, and I think that's the one thing I did learn from one, is that go with your gut instinct on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. If something annoys you on set in that performance, it is only going to annoy you more in the edit suite. And every time you see it, fix it now. Um, and also of understanding the pace this is going to work at. Mm. Of just going, okay, it's going to work at that. I'm going to work at that pace. And just sticking with it. Um, which sounds terribly glib. Like she's no, going no, no, to post it, shouldn't it, with a kitten. <laughs> um, but the, the other really good one I did learn, actually, which we did now, I learned right at the beginning from Flutter, which is from Chris Ross. And he said, he said, I only remember he's, he's the DOP on yeah. Flutter. He said, you and I, we're quality control. He said, everyone else can come and worry about the time. We're quality control. Don't stop this until we're happy with it. It's like, yeah. Uh, and I think okay, that's, okay. that's a really good one, is you think, I'm not here to worry about the schedule, because that's someone else's job. Uh, I don't want to you know, piss you off running the schedule. I'm mm. going to try and be as helpful as possible. Yeah. But my job is to make sure this scene's as good as it can be. Yeah, when push comes to the government, the negotiation is about what you need, as opposed to... Yeah. When we finish, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. Let's let's wrap this up then with uh, some thoughts on uh, what you're up to at the moment. Then, have you anything anything you can kind of point to? Um, you've got a number of projects out at the moment. Actually, we have uh, I have a, a documentary. Okay, <laughs> about well, I can't actually mention this one because we're just waiting for an okay from uh, the main subject to say that he's happy. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So there's no yeah. point spoiling it uh, now. But it's great. It's such a brilliant story. Um, I'll tell you, it's about it's set in the world of cycling. Oh, brilliant! Uh, and it's 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 the most amazing story. And I'm hosting a Q and A at the Hackney Picture House on Saturday. Are you about cycling? Yeah, Graham Obie's documentary Battle Mountain. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm not going after that. I'm mm. after. Have you seen Breaking Away? PT Eight's film. No. About cycling set in Indiana. No. Indiana. Oh, go watch that. It's amazing. Ah, okay. It's absolutely amazing film. Uh, but yeah, this is a documentary on cycling, um, and it's just the most brilliant story. And we just waiting to hear if our main interviewee is, is, is good. Okay. And then, then, we're, then we see the money people again. Uh, so I've got that. I've got a, a big budget feature, which mm -hmm. isn't a comedy, uh, called Big Smoke, which is up with a company. Uh, it's a sort of um, urban thriller. That's a, urban thriller sounds terrible, isn't it? Like, it sounds just really wrong. It's kind of, it's a late night. Is it in a city? Order. Yeah. Oh, it's urban then. Yeah. Oh, I, know. Says, I know, but urban thriller, you think. Well, it's not R and B. I mean, I know, I know, I know you. Yeah. I know you don't mean R and B. I mean, what's a lot of white cotton geezer? Sounds a bit like, doesn't it? Urban thriller. No, but it's more like it's kind of like um, after hoursy sort of. Oh, nice. Um, fish out of water, guy in the wrong part of London at night. 
six hours left to save everything. Uh, that and that's really fun, and that's that's but it's it's bigish. You know. Are you going to be able to do the same as you did with Flutter, where you kind of create your own world in there? Yeah, I think that, that we very much want it. Because that's obviously a key thing about. I have never thought of that the parallel between Flutter and After Hours is that it was After Hours was a real key film uh, in in the stuff that we were looking at. Mm. Uh, After Hours and um, Seance and our Wet Afternoon. What are which is an old? Uh, if I've got the title right, Seance and Wet. Yes, something like that. Uh, it's an old um, 50s, 60s British okay, horror, okay. black and white horror film, horror-ish film. Mm. Um, and it's kind of sort of dreariness, mm-hmm. suburban dreariness. We wanted suburban dreariness meets um, After Hours. That's right. what we wanted for Flutter. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, this is, again, this is this sort of, it, it's it's that weird. The idea came from, you know, every, everyone's done that thing when they get on the night bus and they fall asleep mm. and they wake up in the wrong part of London. I don't know where. Yeah, yeah, it's that. I was Chingford. I woke yeah. up in Chingford. Chingford. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the night bus from town that Whoa. drops me near Leighton takes you all the way to Chingford. How if you much don't further get... is Chingford? What twenty miles? No, uh, no, no, five or six. Is it? Oh, that's bad enough, though. That's far enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even really know Chingford existed. I thought it was just like a. Oh, I was on. I was on the Epping Road somewhere, and I was like, "What the hell's going on?" I thought it was like Narnia. It felt like that. Yeah, but this, so this is it. So we're very much inventing a sort of. Okay. Uh, but then I've got another film. Um, called Albion, which we're doing, which is the exact opposite. Albion is a little tiny art house film. Mm-hmm. About It's about two men walking the Ridgeway, which is the oldest um, road in Britain. It's yeah. the Iron Age road. Friends um, of mine have walked it, oh, not long since. It's, it's a lo- lovely bit. I've walked mm. with it. And, um, it's, no one's going to pay for this film. It's too odd. Sell it me. Sell it me, Giles. <laughs> I just did. That's it. It's about two men walking the ridgeway. What more do you want? Look, a man's done, they've yeah. done a film on a man on a tractor it's, going down a road, so you know. Yeah, you've got just, a fighting yeah, chance. There is a bit of that. It's, well, it's also, it's, it's kind of, it's an investigation into Englishness. Um, it's very much, because as they walk, it goes from the sort of idyllic, hmm. uh, the sort of eastern side of it, Ivinghoe and uh, Oxfordshire, into Avebury, the sort of very strange moorland and it's it's an investigation into Englishness it's an investigation into how the two characters one is sort of a more modern out- have you penned this as well oh, yes I wrote it as well yeah okay uh, and what so one's got a sort of more modern outlook in, in to, to England and the other is much more sort of weighed down by nostalgia and tied to the past and it's it's looking at those things and looking at what the state of the country is and why because we're, it is a strange country it is so tied to the past Oh, without a doubt, no. I think yeah. I think if you if you're looking at English identity, then I think that's a that's something worth mining. Yeah. I think in terms of using film, because and I think there's an interesting there is how to keep the bits that are good and still move forward. You know, the, the, there's all the weirdness you get in the English stuff. Yeah, it's a, I got told a brilliant story, and this is in the script, so don't look and steal it. Um, so, so what was the the main difference between English folk music and American folk music, traditional folk? Music? So they're both. Totally, already they're very, very similar. Lots of close harmony singing. Yeah, very similar. The difference is uh, American folk music says uh, life is hard. You till the soil, you die young, and there's the pearly gates. Yeah. Uh, British music says life is hard. You till the soil, you die young. That's it. It's almost entirely secular. And I think if you want to see the difference between the two countries, there you go. America always believes there's going to be another thing. There's going to be well. Let's be honest. The new Puritans did all leave it. They they all went yeah, to go to that, that place. Yeah, yeah. Whereas all the skeptics stayed all, behind. All over here. So uh, and so most of the songs. It's all kind of sex, death, drinking, and all these things. And you think if to sum up the British character, uh, you know, slightly sarcastic about everything. Perfect. There you go. 
no pearly hands. I was like I was like the comparison. It's a bit more, more contemporary, but I was like the comparison between English psychedelic music and American psychedelic music because mm-hmm. there you were people experiment with acid and various other kind of narcotics, yeah. and the American teenager was worried about being drafted to go to war. Right. So obviously, there's a lot of anger and energy in that sound. Yeah. And we're singing about teapots. That's brilliant. That's absolutely. Yeah, if that's you look exactly at look at the way yeah. you know, sonically they're not a million miles from each other, but yeah. if you listen to what they're saying, yeah, our guy, our guys and gals who were uh, who were absorbing this this headspace were kind of been able to just go, yeah, let's go where clocks melt. That's right. I've read Lord of the Rings. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas America was like, you know, <laughs> the man's yeah. not going to get me. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's different situations have led to different. Mm. And I think it's, so it's, 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 it's kind of like while they, this walk, it's just about these two characters. Mm. They're, they're taking the ashes of one of their grandfather. Okay. He's okay. spreading. He's always, he used to watch when he was young with him. Right. So he's spreading those as they go, spreading those as they go. That sounds awful. Um, but so he's the, the, the song of those. But as they go, it's a kind of uh, it's a sort of picaresque tale. So they stop off at things. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but it also becomes an exploration into the nature of Englishness and the nature of uh, what it is to sort of look forward and look backwards and mm. how important both these things are in shaping. Mm. You know, you can't completely de- uh, remove your past, but you can't to look to the future. But you can't completely remove the future and just stick with the past. And interesting enough, it was originally done, the good old UKFC, God bless them, mm. before they got scrapped, gave me money to write the first draft of Albion. Right. And it was entirely different. Uh, it was all set, it's about students, archaeologists, but the themes were all the same. Right. And everyone seemed to really like the script. Mm. No one would give me the money for it. No one. None of, nobody at all. And I look back at it, I think, obviously, because it was probably about 800,000, million and a half. For an art house film, for a film that's discussing Englishness, it's not going to happen. Would it be? Would the production be that that much? It would have for, been, for, yeah. this, for what is essentially for what was there? It was a big. It was like an ensemble cast. Oh, okay, okay. All of these things had a massive set piece in a village. Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh, so you've drilled it down to, oh, to being these yeah. two I men and, 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 and an urn. Absolutely. I suddenly thought, what's interesting to me about this script is these bits. How can I do this in a way? Right. So we scrapped it, and it's now become like I said, it's Canterbury Tales kind of picaresque thing. Beautiful. So we're, we're going to shoot it in sections. We're just going to go off and do like we're going to shoot five short films. Right, okay. Out of which we will have a feature film. Funny enough, Alan Moore did that with um, with his films, his sort of stuff around Northampton. Did he? He did do the, not, not the same thing, no, but, what, what, but they did a series of short films that were interwoven to be oh, one really? film. And if I had a better memory than I've got now, I could tell you what it's called. So when we're we finish, we're gonna have to find out about that because yeah, I don't yeah. see that. Yeah, because uh, it's a really interesting, really interesting um, piece. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, set, in a, set, in, more, set yeah. in a twilight Northampton. Oh, bro, oh where where a seventies uh, working man's club is purgatory. Oh god, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> oh, why don't I think of that? Because I'm not Alan. Moore. Yeah, neither of us are, are we? Yeah, you've got much more of a beard than me, but that's as close as we're going to get. Working on my Alan Moore look. Well, look. One last question before we before we mm-hmm. shut this down. Um, in fact, no, two more. Okay. What the one being? You've 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 peppered the podcast with lots of sort of anecdotes about your experience and lessons learned. But mm-hmm. if you could, given that you do you do teach, and um, is there anything you would boil down to be like like one or two sort of lessons learned that you could pass on to any any filmmaker, either looking at doing shorts or or, yeah. or on the brink of doing their first feature? Yeah, I, I, there is one. Well, I got told one, which is I thought has been invaluable to me. A couple mm-hmm. of things. Um, the, the first one I got told 
for writing mm-hmm. uh, where someone said to me, he said, don't get it right, get it written. Yes, it's old. No, I'm sure true. I got it from a book because it's a great thing. And I printed that out and I stuck it on top of my computer. Yeah. And that's the, one of the best things I ever did. Because yeah. those times when you sit there looking out the window going, oh, maybe there should be this. Just get it on the page. Yeah. It'll change when it's on the page. It'll never change when it's in your head. Mm. Uh, and that was brilliant. That was one of the best things I ever got told. Um, and there was another one. The other, oh, yeah, the other one was, um, which I, I found really helpful. Because shorts are weird. Shorts are great. I love shorts. Mm. They're also kind of useless. Because you can do about anything and they have no financial value. No. Uh, and somebody told me uh, about feature filmmaking. They said, you don't have to make... These all sound brilliant. They've come off posters again. They said, you don't have to make your film for everybody, but you do have to make your film for somebody. That makes a lot of sense. I had a social media marketing guy on who did a panel up at Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And he said he met filmmakers. And his first question was, who, who's the who's audience? He's not saying how many people are going to see it. Mm. It's like if you say 75 people in Norwich, yeah. then at least you know that's your audience. Yeah, also, that's your budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah you Which is what he was getting at. And he yeah. said he couldn't believe that someone could sit opposite him and have a finished film and not know who it's no, for. It's incredible. Because everyone thinks <laughs> it's going to be an amazing break. And it's just hard because Martin want to know this and you know the distributor wants to know this. Mm. So, I, I went to talk, you know, uh, Christine Vachon, the producer of Killer Films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, an amazing woman. Went to a talk by her and she said, who here is a filmmaker? And almost the entire room put their hands up. Yeah. And she said, who here has got a really great personal story they want to make in the film? And almost everyone puts their hand up again. She went, don't, don't bother. Go home, write a book, write a play, write an opera, even that's cheaper. Film is expensive. You've got, and this is, this is killer films. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. She says, we do niche stuff because we know our audience and we know what they'll pay and we know how much we can spend. And she said, I'm very pleased. I don't want to work doing films. I like my niche audience, yeah. but I know they're a niche audience. Mm. You've got to know your audience. And that's still... 50,000 fall fans can't be wrong, as Marky Smith used to say. Exactly. Or is his album. Exactly. Where's Marky Smith's film? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> one day. Look, one last question then, and this is I should have given this his own work, really. Could you recommend us, and you probably could easily, a British film that you, that you that's maybe one that... People, pass people by that they should go back and look at or a lost mm-hmm. classic from, from a bygone era oh god right, that's a big question I mean by all means plug a friends film if you want if you think it's one that people should see god no I don't want them doing well <laughs> it's hard enough to get money for films let alone if people you know are doing well oh awful <laughs> um, there's so, do you know what is it, all it's going to be is just thousands of films on the way home I'm going to think of um I'm watching a lot of Kelly Reichardt films at the moment. Okay. I really, really like Meat's Cut Off, um, uh, which is a feminist Western that she shot in 4 by 3 Brilliant. Shoot a Western in 4 by 3 because she tried a bonnet on, uh, even the bonnets they wear, mm. the women wear, and realised that made them look in 4 by 3 So she shot a Western in 4 by 3 I think she's amazing. Get out of town. And Old Joy, which is, a, which is a film about two men walking through the countryside. Why am I? <laughs> um, so I'm watching a lot of stuff that, uh, by her. I mean, oh God, I'm watching, and that's all Cassavetes films again. Hmm. Um, what about British, British, British films? Yeah, no, there must be. God, good British. We are Britflakes. Yeah, we are British. God, of course. Okay. God, good British films. Um, can you, you have to edit out all these ums and ahs while I think for ages. Um, good British. Films. This is a thrill of the chase that people are going to hear. Yeah, oh God, no. What do I really like? Oh, here. Obviously, I really like all the kind of 60s Taste of Honey. Okay. Uh, some of the weirder ones are that Here We Go Around the Mulberry Bush. That's a good film. Still not seen that. Oh, it's nuts. Got a brilliant bit where a woman goes, I like a bit of fish, especially on a Friday. <laughs> it's one of my favourite lines of any film. I like a bit of fish. Um, 
Yeah, they're just great films. They're just they're kind of made with such abandon. Yeah, uh, they just feel so free. Um, I was it's interesting. When I was talking to my film students the other day. I was mentioning films, and it's it's shocking, and it's not their fault, but how few things they've seen. And it's I blame I absolutely blame terrestrial TV for not showing anything interesting. Uh, I was talking. I said, oh, okay, it's a bit like the Devils, Ken Russell, blank faces, absolutely no, no one has seen it. And I, I, I don't see how you can make films and not see the, the Devils by Ken Russell. I but, think I first saw that on Channel Four. Exactly. <laughs> My entire knowledge of French New Wave cinema is thanks to Channel Four. Mm. You may remember they did a series called Cinema Cinema. Mm. They showed virtually every New Wave film ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to see them. If I didn't, if they didn't put that on, how am I going to know about that? You know, mm. unless you go out and I choose to. Re- There's so many things out there. How are people going to find Tarkovsky? How are they going to find Goddard and Truffaut and all that? How are they going to find Pabst? All these ones, unless they show them on TV. I guess the problem is, if I'm going to give them the excuse, mm. is that when you and I, mm. of a of a of a different vintage, and your students. Mm. The pile of cultural produce was this high. Yeah, as now it were. It's, now it's four ta- four million times as big. Yeah, and it's kind of like, where do you go? I mean, and where you're trying to fit in time to watch three hours of Batman versus Superman, I, I, and then I, 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 switch I your attention. And I think that. Yeah. But the thing is, I think this this hope this the hope this brings is obviously it's not have, having loads of choices is a waste of time. Mm. I think we're going to return to from cultural point of view. This isn't about life, just films, music. Mm. That. Is we'll get back to kind of curated spaces, which is what television was when it was best. Yes, it's it true. was curated it's space. But because we've gone to non-linear, mm. fuck all that. It's too much stuff out there. Well, do yeah, you know, absolutely. Like absolutely. I've watched Night Manager whenever I wanted to. Yeah, I've watched every <laughs> in the line of duty when I want to. So when yeah. they put it on TV, doesn't matter. Yeah. Equally with films on film four, you're not thinking, oh, I better be in by quarter past nine. Yeah, you just set your TVR and yeah, then film four. Well, because by quarter past nine, so I can watch Taken again. <laughs> <laughs> But there, there is an interesting one of this, and this uh, real point. And I went to a panel discussion about this, where I moaned for hours about it. Is that Brit films? Mm. If they, if the government really want to help British cinema, I think one of the main things they can do is that insist, find a way of insisting that broadcasters, especially BBC, which take public money and mm. Channel Four, mm. show more British films. I would completely and utterly concur, and it's one thing I don't understand, especially when I see. Took the eight new bit American Indie on, mm. which is pointless and says nothing about no, the British experience at all. And you think to yourself, I know that there are other films that are more worthy yeah. of this. And you're no, picking, I, you're going, it's like Gua cigarettes, they're a bit more exotic. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I understand Channel 4 are showing, uh, Film 4 are showing Night at the Museum 3 again mm. because it gets really good rating. But it always will until they start showing more British and creating an audience for these things. Mm. Who's, I mean, Thank God they put some early Shane Meadows films on TV because otherwise, who's going to take a risk on? on mm. that? You know, it's really tough to get people out to see for. It doesn't matter. One, two, three, four screened had its premiere at the London Film Festival in a yeah. Best of British section. Yeah, they nominated for Best British Film. Mm-hmm. There was seven films in that thing. Right, yeah, seven, six, seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them has got a TV release. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. You've got the major film festival in the country chooses a selection of films. That they say are the best of this year's British films, mm. and TV buys one of them. And for low budget films, one TV sale is going to make a huge difference to your. I was going to say, but then thinking of that curated example, you could almost go down the road of the TV company buys 
the London Film Festival seven. Absolutely. You know, and that becomes a Absolutely. and that becomes a brand in of itself. This is, this is one of the reasons French works well because the French TV buys certain amounts, so you can you know that you have a ninety five percent chance of a TV sale, and you can build that into your 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 your, your workings. Yeah, damn, damn them Americans damn speaking them. the same language as us and giving us their. I once saw the opposite end of this yeah. argument where yeah. there was an American guy arguing that you should outsource your culture to Hollywood because they've got the economies of scale to make movies. Really? You shouldn't bother. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's, yeah, quite, that's, that's, that's at least very blunt. nice of you. Very nice of you. <laughs> exactly. Charlie Charming. Yeah, we should do. Really, yeah. Well, look, uh, Flutter, obviously, it came out middle last year. In the wrong aspect ratio. You've got that in now, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I just have to say this. In the wrong aspect ratio. It's in 69. It should be in 235. Okay. If you can stomach that, viewers, then it is available on DVD. <laughs> Uh, one, two, three, four. I presume is available DVD. Yeah? Certainly is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soda pictures. Of course, yeah. Soda. Okay, then we'll look. Thank you, Giles, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for lots of tea. And lovely. It's very Indeed. nice. Indeed. Oh, and it was a pleasure to be sat opposite the person I'm talking to, <laughs> as opposed to looking at my own picture on Skype. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.